From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are Cindy Sane, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent, and Nancy Marshall-Genzer, Senior Reporter for Marketplace. Welcome, Cindy and Nancy. Good morning. Thank you. Well, here are the issues. A town hall meeting featuring President Joe Biden was held in Cincinnati, Ohio. The CNN-sponsored event focused on issues facing the U.S., ranging from COVID-19 to the economy. The town hall comes at a crucial time in Biden's presidency as the administration faces a number of congressional challenges, including on immigration, police reform, and infrastructure. Senate Republican negotiators said they won't vote to debate a bipartisan infrastructure bill because the details have not been finalized. Since the 50 Democratic senators need at least 10 Republicans to support the bill to clear a parliamentary hurdle for debate, losing the support of just a few has stalled the bill. The U.S., along with NATO, the EU, the United Kingdom, Japan, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, specifically blamed China for a cyber attack in March that affected tens of thousands of organizations via Microsoft Exchange servers. The Biden administration organized a broad group of allies to condemn Beijing for cyber attacks around the world, but stopped short of taking concrete punitive steps. The U.S. Agency for Global Media says it is outraged that 180 journalists around the world, including some of its own, were targeted for surveillance by military-grade Israeli spyware. The Israeli company's spyware was used in attempted and successful hacks of 37 smartphones belonging to journalists, government officials, and human rights activists around the world, according to an investigation by 17 media organizations. And the coronavirus continues to overshadow the Tokyo Olympics. Tokyo officials announced that nearly 70 people in Tokyo who are closely associated with the Olympics have tested positive for COVID-19. The WHO says the highly contagious Delta variant of the coronavirus is expected to become the dominant strain of the virus over the coming months. Vaccination rates in the U.S. have stalled with less than half of the U.S. population fully vaccinated, according to CDC data. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said as the variant spreads, COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. have risen, climbing by nearly 48 percent over the past week and now averaging 239 per day. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Cindy, I will start with you. The president has been traveling around the country in recent months, selling his infrastructure proposal, often hitting Midwestern cities in key states and districts that will play a key role in both the 2022 and 2024 elections. So how important is the battleground state of Ohio to Biden? Well, Kim, Ohio is always very important to any presidential contender. And at the town hall in Ohio, President Biden got a very big round of applause for saying, you know, we're going to get this infrastructure bill passed and we're going to 
fix that damn bridge of yours going into Kentucky. That, as I said, got a rousing round of applause. And to ask about the bill, again, being stalled in the Senate by Republicans, President Biden said he was confident that he believes on Monday when there's the next round of voting just to advance it, just to basically start debate on the infrastructure bill. Biden said it will pass on Monday, and then there will be debate, and there may be more compromise on different aspects of the bill. But they're questioning from several there in the audience, especially Democrats from Ohio, refused to give up on bipartisanship, saying we have to work with Republicans to get this done. And this infrastructure in this country, whether it's bridges or broadband or water supply, different things, it's just a national crisis that we need to pull together on. And Nancy, your take on the president's town hall, and also how did Ohio Republicans see this presidential attention? Was it a chance perhaps to make the case against the Democrats? I don't know about that. In fact, President Biden called out Ohio Senator Rob Portman, who's one of a number of bipartisan senators who are working on this infrastructure plan and said, he's a good man. I think he'll help us get this done. I think that President Biden is trying to very confidently assert that, yes, we can do this. Bipartisanship is not dead. And there is a bipartisan group of senators, about 11 Republicans, 11 Democrats, and they did issue a joint statement after the vote saying that they're optimistic, they can finish up in the coming days. And a lot of members of Congress want this measure to succeed because bridges and roads across the country are falling apart. And, you know, this is a trillion dollars over five years, new spending on roads and bridges and broadband, and they say it's really needed. So in both of your takes on this, Cindy and Nancy, do you see informal talks continuing? What is the very next step? Informal talks are continuing. The big sticking point is how to pay for this. Democrats have wanted to have some new taxes in place for people making more than $400,000 a year. Republicans were against that, and they want to take some unused COVID relief money and possibly use that. So that's the big sticking point right now. But again, this bipartisan group of senators says they could be ready with something on Monday. And Cindy? Well, I was just going to add about the town hall. I felt one of the stickiest moments is when an Ohio restaurant owner said he is really having trouble getting workers to staff his restaurants. They're trying to restart after COVID-19, and they simply cannot get people, waiters and waitresses. And President Biden basically conceded that there is a labor shortage and said now people are going for other opportunities instead of people who may have been waiters and waitresses in the past were trying to go for better paying jobs. And I saw where the restaurant owner had reacted to a local Ohio paper and said he was not satisfied. And it's a challenge that where President Biden didn't really have a good answer. And to be fair, there might not be a good answer for a president to be able to fix this kind of situation. That's a very good point because you have some politicians saying, well, it is because the people are receiving these employment benefits as to why they're not wanting to go back to work. And Nancy, what is your take on this? What are you finding out? I would agree it's hard for a president to fix this. President Biden's answer was pretty vague. He did say, well, maybe people don't want to go back to being servers in restaurants. He did also say that maybe the extra federal unemployment money did have something to do with people not going back to work. But he said, even if that is the case, it ends in September. 
And there have been a lot of theories about this also. You know, school hasn't started yet, so maybe some parents are not able to go back to work. Maybe people are afraid of getting COVID if they go back to work, especially with the Delta variant. So there are a lot of theories about this, and I don't know that there is any one answer. That's true, and we will continue to follow developments as this infrastructure proposal continues to be debated on. Well, U.S. cyber officials are blaming hackers tied to the Chinese government for one of the largest cyber attacks in U.S. history involving Microsoft Exchange servers. And Nancy, I know you've been covering this story, and White House officials say the attack was just one example of malicious cyber activities spearheaded by Chinese hackers, including the use of ransomware to threaten businesses and extort millions of dollars. So what can you tell us about this cyber attack? Well, you know, it's interesting. The U.S. handled this very differently than it handled the cyber attacks that Russia has been accused of. There were no sanctions on China. No Chinese diplomats were expelled from the U.S., and that's what the U.S. did with Russia. Instead, there was just sort of a global shaming of China with the U.S. and NATO and EU and other allies issuing individual statements accusing China of being guilty of this Microsoft server attack that affected thousands of businesses and associations around the world. And the U.S. said that China is responsible for this. It also indicted four Chinese citizens and said that China's Ministry of State Security was responsible. But those Chinese who were indicted are not in custody. So it's kind of like a global finger wagging at this point. And Cindy, what are the ramifications to the U.S.-China relations from this cyber attack and the U.S. response? Well, as I'm sure our audience knows, things have already been very tense with the U.S. condemning China for repression of ethnic Muslim Uyghurs. And this is just adding another element. And China, of course, is accusing the U.S. of cyber spying and saying the U.S. should not interfere in its internal affairs. And at this moment, we have the Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, traveling to China. She will be the highest ranking U.S. official in the Biden administration to actually go to China. And the State Department is emphasizing that there are areas where they can work together on climate change, on North Korea not acquiring nuclear weapons. But tensions are high. And a lot of people, though, are asking, you know, with this finger wagging, as Nancy said, why there are real sanctions against China and pointing to the sanctions against Russia for similar activity and saying, you know, is this a toothless measure? And just really looks like you both have pointed out that it appears that no definite or concrete action is being taken right now. And looking at it globally, what is the U.S. and its allies, what type of action do you think they intend on taking? Well, you know, the U.S. probably wouldn't want to talk about this, but it could do its own covert cyber attack against China. But there are risks there. I mean, the U.S. could inadvertently shut something down it didn't mean to. It could release malicious software accidentally and be responsible for that. Or other countries could misunderstand the intent behind a U.S. counter cyber attack. So, you know, that's certainly something the U.S. has done before. And it's possible that what the U.S. is doing now is trying to get support from its allies at this point for some kind of counterattack it would do in the future. 
Yes, it would be interesting to see how these other countries, such as Australia, Canada, Japan, the UK, New Zealand, and the countries of the EU, how they're all going to work together to really counter this type of behavior that has been going on. Yeah, I mean, they could with these four Chinese individuals who were indicted by the U.S. You know, they could work together to make it difficult for those people to travel. If they left China, you know, maybe they would be arrested by Interpol. They could certainly work together in that way, but they could also give the U.S. support for any kind of covert activity. Okay, well, we'll just have to see what kind of action is going to be taken in the near future. Well, it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, we'll look into the use of military-grade spyware that was used to hack into cell phones around the world. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype. Cindy Sane, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent, and Nancy Marshall-Genzer, Senior Reporter for Marketplace. Well, Cindy, an Israeli company's spyware was used in attempted and successful hacks of 37 smartphones belonging to journalists, government officials, and human rights activists around the world. What did you find out in your coverage of these hacks? Well, Kim, yes, this is an ever-widening scandal, which we learned that it has affected, especially in some repressive and authoritarian countries where journalists and human rights activists, members of civil society have been targeted for surveillance. And it is widening now as we find that a number of heads of state and government, including French President Emmanuel Macron and the King of Morocco, were also on the list of numbers. And speaking to some of the journalists and activists who were targeted really brought it home to me. VOA spoke to a woman journalist, TV journalist from Azerbaijan. She said, you know, we're used to, in Azerbaijan, we're used to a certain amount of government harassment and surveillance. But she described that how the spyware had taken over the camera of her phone, that she just felt like she was just watched every moment, whether she was going to the kitchen or in anywhere in her house, in her bathroom or a bedroom or wherever. And it's just a complete invasion of privacy. And another Azerbaijani human rights activist told me that he faces constant threats from the government. He's been imprisoned in the past and found out that his name was also on the list. So this is really affecting people. And I spoke with the Forbidden Stories director who told me that was one of the groups in Paris that started this whole investigation rolling, that they found the name of a Mexican journalist on the list and that two weeks later he was dead. Now, he said they're not, you know, basically saying that, you know, that caused his name being on the list caused his death. But it does show how serious this is. And that also the murdered American and Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, that his fiance was targeted for surveillance just a couple of days after his brutal murder and dismemberment in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. And this company, NSO, said that its product is intended only for use by government intelligence and law enforcement agencies to fight terrorism and crime. So if this truly is the case, then how does something like this happen and why? 
Yeah, the company says it firmly denies the false allegations and is even considering a defamation lawsuit. You know, it says that Forbidden Stories is misleading data that is accessible, which it says has no bearing on any of this. It's hard to say, but it does seem rather suspicious that this technology, that this NSO technology appears to have taken over people's phones. Also, the International Human Rights Organization, Amnesty International, they put out a statement on this saying, until this company, NSO, and the industry as a whole can show it is capable of respecting human rights, there must be an immediate moratorium on the export, sale, transfer, and use of surveillance technology. And that was Amnesty International's statement. So looking at it from an international community, what are some of the other countries out there saying about this? Well, it is having an international impact. We have seen almost like riots in India's parliament with opposition figures saying that Prime Minister Modi used it against journalists and human rights activists there and streetwide protests. And in Paris, it appears that President Macron was targeted by Morocco and the French prosecutor has launched an investigation. Israel is even saying that this is a private company, we have nothing to do with it, is announcing a task force to look into it. NSO is now also saying that after stressing that it was meant to use to catch criminals and terrorists, saying that they are also, you know, they take the allegations seriously and are, are looking into it. So I think this is only just beginning to ripple and we'll see even more and more repercussions from this. We will continue to follow the story, and thanks to you, Cindy and Nancy, for bringing a lot of details on this. On now to the Tokyo Olympics, where the CEO of the Tokyo Olympics Organizing Committee, Toshiro Muto, expressed concerns and did not rule out canceling the games, but games have started despite the rise in COVID-19 cases with those associated with the Olympics. Nancy, what are you finding out about the COVID overshadowing the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, we've had soccer players taking a knee in protest of racism before games. Some of Australia's players have been posing with an indigenous flag and linking arms. So players definitely are being a lot more active here. You may see some raised fists at the start of running races, but the International Olympic Committee has very strict rules about this, and there's not supposed to be any kind of activism actually on the podium, only before the start of an event. You brought up a really good point, and which is the other facet of the Olympics, possibly even political protest. And given the history of the Olympics, as you pointed out, Nancy, athlete activism is not new. So, Cindy, what are you hearing regarding this aspect of the Olympics? Well, the main thing that I've been hearing is just how COVID-19 and then some embarrassing firings of top Japanese officials involved at the last minute is overshadowing. And, and to be fair, I think any country that would be hosting the Olympics would also be subject to the same, especially on COVID. And from the United States, First Lady Jill Biden is making her first solo international trip, a very small U.S. delegation, only two people total. And Jill Biden is using the chance to also meet with Japan's Prime Minister Suga and, and to talk about COVID. As I understand it, only a third of Japanese have gotten both vaccines. So this is 
is an international problem, and I do think that it is threatening to overshadow. Tokyo is in its fourth state of emergency, and almost all the venues there in that city will be empty. So I don't think it is what Japan had hoped for when they won the bid, hoping to show that the country is back and it's revitalized, and now it's struggling with COVID-19 and some embarrassing comments that some of their officials made in the past. Also, Nancy, most cities, and just going back and looking over past Olympics, they do not recover or they take a long time to recover financially when they hold the Olympics. So with COVID-19 and athlete activism, and even possibly if it gets really bad, maybe they may have to stop the Olympics because of COVID-19. So how is all this going to affect the economics of Tokyo? Well, I tell you what, the broadcasters are doing just fine. (laughs) And that's where they make a lot of the money here, most of the money. Some of it is shared with the home city and, of course, the International Olympic Committee. But the broadcasts will continue whether there are fans in the stands or not. But I've interviewed economists who studied the effects of big stadium projects, not necessarily for the Olympics. And uniformly, they say these projects do not pay for themselves. You know, you can see past Olympic venues and where the stadiums and all the facilities that were built are no longer in use and are even just falling into disrepair. And also just looking at the rapidly spreading Delta variant, which now accounts for 83% of COVID cases here in the U.S., and in parts of the country with low vaccination rates, it may be responsible for up to 90%. It was first identified in India. The Delta variant has swept through 90 countries around the world. But the three vaccines approved here in the U.S. continue to be highly effective against Delta and other variants. And Cindy, where does the Biden administration stand on its programs to get more people vaccinated? Kim, we started out talking about the town hall and uh, President Biden pleaded with Americans to get the vaccine, saying it's real simple. We have a pandemic for those who have not gotten a vaccination. So just pleading with people and calling on people to talk to their family members and friends who have not been vaccinated and try to convince them. And we are hearing now that there are discussions uh, at the White House about asking people to start masking up again, which, you know, it feels like we keep going through these things over and over again, where the motto sort of was vax it or mask it. And it might be now a vax it and mask it. We're just weeks away here in many parts of the country of children children going back to school. So there's there's a lot of fears, as you said, about this new variant and children going to school and what could happen. And looking at even around the world, for instance, last weekend, more than 100,000 people marched across France to protest against President Emmanuel Macron's plans to force vaccination of health workers and require a COVID-19 free certificate to enter places such as restaurants and cinemas because the protesters are saying this infringes on the freedom of choice of those who do not want the vaccination. Right now, it's still a personal choice to get vaccinated. And as you pointed out, Cindy, a lot of restrictions are already taking place and possibly we could go back to the mask. So do you all see this happening on a worldwide basis again? Well, here in the U.S., there's a lot of pressure on the Centers for Disease Control, which, of course, issued some guidelines saying that if you were vaccinated, you did not have to wear a mask. The former Surgeon General in the Trump administration, Dr. Jerome Adams, said now he realized it was a mistake to advise against wearing a mask if you were fully vaccinated. So we could see that happen. And some 
parts of the U.S. are already starting to reinstate mask advisories or even mandates. Los Angeles County is mandating masks again. Las Vegas is also advising people to start wearing masks. So we'll see. I mean, if you have a lot more people getting sick from the Delta variant, I think you're going to see more masks. As you both point out, this virus must be taken seriously, whether you are vaccinated or not. Any last thoughts on this topic before we wrap up? I think it'll be interesting to see what schools do in the fall. I have twin boys who are 12, so they have been fully vaccinated. Supposedly a vaccine will be available sometime next year, maybe in the fall, maybe before school starts for kids younger than 12. But if Delta keeps spreading, I think you're going to see a lot of people masking up in schools. I agree, and I just hope for the best for all school children all over the world. And I am seeing that more than 91 million Americans live in counties with high COVID rates now and low vaccination rates. So it, it is worrisome. Interestingly, you have more conservative Fox News and other hosts now calling on people to take COVID seriously and get vaccinated. And we will have to end the show on those thoughts as we are out of time. My thanks go to Cindy Sane, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent, and Nancy Marshall Genzer, Senior Reporter for Marketplace. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for VOA's Issues in the News. 